0: Hi, and welcome to Business Ready, hosted by me, Penny Haslam. For this new series, we're moving away from our focus on Brexit to explore broader issues impacting the SME space right now. This mini series for the Southeast Business Hub will help businesses to navigate the challenges and opportunities. In each of these episodes, we feature business owners and experts to discuss what's happening in the world of SMEs at the moment. And today, we're talking about business resilience and recruitment. And there are plenty of questions that come up for that, like how can SMEs compete with the larger organisations when they're vying for talent? How can they make the most of recruitment drives? And how can we keep adapting and being resilient when faced with issues like those presented to us over the last few years? To discuss these questions and more, I'm joined by Josie Pollard from The Rise Bakery. Frances Weatherilt, Transform Advisor at Sussex Council of Training Providers, and Deborah O'Sullivan, Director at 10 to 2 Recruitment Agency. Welcome all of you. Josie, can I come to you first? I'm guessing where you work is a bakery, but there's a little bit more to it. Can you describe who you are, what it does, that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, sure. So we are To The Rise Bakery. Uh, We're a small sourdough bakery that started just before the pandemic um, at the very beginning of 2020. And it was started by one of my sisters, Lauren, who'd originally trained to be a chef in London and then had decided to move back home and start something a bit smaller in her hometown, which is Eastbourne. And then since then, she's recruited me, uh, my her sister and Morgan. And we've just basically been working throughout the pandemic or uh, and turning small two loaves a day home bakery into now a um, a really fun and exciting up and coming bakery in Eastbourne. It was really interesting starting just before the pandemic because um, we originally wanted to be a wholesale bakery and actually kind of having such big changes at the very beginning meant that we really had to evaluate and kind of see what direction we can go So we decided that we were going to, you know, there was no wholesale going at the moment apart from a few grocery stores. So we kept going at like local delis, sorry. So we started delivering to them. But then we also really started reaching out to our community and to the public. And we started doing deliveries, um, non-contact to the door deliveries in Eastbourne. And I think actually reaching out uh, and being part of being so close to our customers and being in the public so early on was really amazing because that really formed the direction that the bakery was going to go. Instead of just kind of being a behind the scenes, we're just going to be a bit more commercial, a bit more manufacturing. We really decided that actually we loved working with our customers. We loved being so in contact with them and just seeing where all of our products go. So that's where we've really kind of had the it felt to us it felt like an opportunity to really channel what direction we wanted to go in and yeah we decided that actually we loved we loved working with people and for the people so we do a lot of uh, deliveries to people's houses and also have our wholesale up and running which is great
0: That's fantastic. And what an access to your marketplace to check out what it needs, what it wants. Josie, what's your role? Do you have a role in recruiting in the future? Is that something that's on your to-do list at the moment?
1: Yeah. So I am office uh, administrator and my two other sisters, they do all the baking. So I don't have to get up super early at night, which kind of works for me. I'm not a morning morning person. And we've been really fortunate enough that we've been looking, uh, we've been doing it from home, from a little micro garage, converted garage, I'd say. And so we've been really fortunate enough that actually we are moving into a shop front in Eastbourne Town Centre where we'll have the bakers baking at the back of the shop um, and then we'll have a little coffee pickup area at the front with a little window that people can come, like poke in their heads, see what the bakers are doing and also come pick up their breads. So we're at a really fun and like pivotal point at the moment where we're looking to, we're gonna need to expand because we have, we're buying a big commercial oven and we're gonna have like a a nice big shop and lots of room which the bakers are just so excited about. Um, And now we're really looking forward to employing people and looking for staff who are um, excited and keen to learn all about the business. And we've actually been in contact with Transform, who I know are here with Francis, um, and we're really looking forward to hiring an apprentice and building up our community of staff and bakers and just you know a really lovely place that we can have people come and who actually want to work and enjoy their workspace that they're in
0: Well, you sound like the ideal employer, Josie. I hope you are um, going to pin your ears back for the podcast and pick up as many tips as you can from Francis and Deborah and uh, share your views as well. So thank you for that. But Francis, um, Josie mentioned that she'd been working with Transform um, to help her find an apprentice. But what do you do? What is Transform and how does it help people?
2: Yeah, I work on the Transform Project. It's a membership-based organisation. They're a not, not-for-profit organisation and members are made up from micro-providers right through to large colleges and our local authorities and universities as well. And we are primarily here to support SMEs in the East Six area, to be aware of the, the vast range of skills and support that's available to, for businesses who want to... Um, raise their skills um, within the business and, and address like, current recruitment needs. And um, we do a focus primarily on uh, apprenticeships. So we help um, businesses to understand the landscape of apprenticeships, um, how they can support their business, their growth, um, both for new recruits and to hold on to existing staff. And we handhold them through that process of finding out whether they're right for them what it means to them, their business, and right through to the point of the outcome of bringing somebody on board. So, um, yeah, Josie um, Josie said we've got a relationship where we're supporting to the rise. And we um, we started that relationship right back at the beginning of when Transform started, which is the beginning of 2020. And we're, we're here for three years, and we're here for when Josie's ready to pick up the reins again, and to start looking at taking on an apprentice. So um, very flexible support, ongoing support to SMEs within East Sussex. And that's what the project is providing.
0: What a fantastic resource. That sounds brilliant. Thank you, Francis. Deborah, you're a director at 10 to 2 Recruitment Agency. Why 10 to 2? What's all that about? Is that the time of most interviews? (laughs)
3: Um, hi Penny no it's not actually we get interviews at all sorts of times of day but 10 to 2 was set up um, about 14 years ago now we're based in Hertfordshire but we have offices across the south of England and we specialize in flexible part-time and remote working so um, the 10 to 2 is just supposed to represent the fact that actually if you're looking to work part-time then actually 10 to 2 of the hours you're definitely available of course that's not always the case and um, we work on roles that are um, nine to five but four days a week or full-time but all fully remote um, and equally we get roles that are you know sort of eight hours a week so yeah, so the ten, the 10 to 2 is just meant to signify the fact that it's flexible. Just comparing ourselves to what Francis does, um, we, we work with professionals, highly skilled professionals, sort of anything from senior administrators through to finance directors, accountants, HR managers, um, most of whom have got sort of 10 years plus experience in their field. Because of our specialism, we tend to find most of our candidates are female. But interestingly, more and more, particularly since the pandemic, we're seeing more men registering. So I think there's this general move that people are looking for more flexibility in general to create a work-life balance.
0: Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it, how just how long it's taking employers, big and small, to realise that a flexible worker It's not someone who's a slacker quite the opposite they're probably going to be more loyal uh, more diligent more you know more focused on their work when they're doing it oh my goodness it does beg a belief but yeah certainly things have been there's been a catalyst hasn't there um we don't need to go into that but we know what that was um okay so thank you all um i just want to focus on some of the challenges to do with the recruitment space and resilience I And mean, we're dubbing this the kind of business resilience and recruitment the two go hand in hand in a way don't they? Now, and we've seen a lot of businesses shed staff and then try and recruit, um, not ch- not found that easy in certain sectors. Um, Deborah, I'm just going to come to you first. What do you interpret resilience in the recruitment space as? Is recruitment fundamental to business resilience? I think the
3: yeah, the straight answer is absolutely. I mean, I think resilience is similar across many industries and recruitment is really no different. What we see and experience is that the most resilient businesses, they know their markets, they're able to adapt quickly, they can think differently, they plan and they make quick decisions. You know, when the pandemic hit, we knew recruitment would suffer and that's exactly what we saw. Personally, for ten to two, we were working with over a hundred clients. Literally, just a few vacancies. Everything froze, and it was very similar to the financial crisis for those who um, lived and worked through that. Um, and what we saw was those those clients and businesses that had had experience of it previously um, were actually quicker to respond. You know, they immediately protected their cash flow. Um, they used the government schemes to help them with their furloughing of staff, um, supporting them with grants. So I think I think re- recruitment and resilience go hand in hand um, because as soon as there's any problems on the horizon, you have to manage your team and you have to think about how you're going to resource whatever business you're running at that particular moment in time.
0: So Deborah mentioned there, Francis, about skills, not necessarily massively experienced, but at least with the right skill set from the right places. How have you worked with people over the last couple of years in the resilience piece um, to help their businesses via recruitment?
2: Okay, so through the Transform Project, what we do and what employers have been really appreciative of is we do a needs analysis, we look at where they are, where they will to get to, and how they're going to get there. And through that process, we identify where the skills gaps are, where the um the, the people's gaps are as well in terms of recruitment, and we'll either help them down the route through apprenticeships and bring that skill set and that opportunity to um, offer a really good employment opportunity to, to people out there picking up what Deborah said. You know, you've got to do so much more than just stick an advert out there, you've got to really work hard to attract people into your business. There's a lot of competition and an issue with um, supply at the moment, staff. What we also do is look at um, the funded qualifications that are available to organisations at the moment through government funding and through local funding. as that might be... um, just to to give that extra depth of of training through a level two or a level three qualification. So we've worked with um, a cross sector of organisations from hospitality through to health and social care through to um, charitable organisations who've also struggled recently with um, raising the profile of the skills. So one of the um, charities that we worked with where we were unable to Um, help them to recruit in the business through apprenticeships. We were then also, um, through through those conversations, helping them to identify level two qualifications that help to upskill their existing staff members and bring that additional skill set. And that was through um, team leadership, through um, IT-based training qualifications, and through um, that will enable them to support, manage the change as well that's going on within their business whether having to adapt and become more IT savvy, more digital savvy.
0: So Josie, um, I dare say that your experience of having to be resilient and building a business from the middle of a pandemic um, has given you a huge amount of skills at being resilient, both as individual sisters, but also... As a business. And so are you looking forward to the next phase of To the Rise bakery?
1: Yeah, so we're really looking forward to the next phase. Um, because we've had not only has have we been successful enough to be really fortunate to move into a shopfront premises, uh, but we've also had really good feedback from the community. And I think and our customers, and I think that's something that we really do try and take on as much as possible. Obviously there are some instances where we do feel like, you know, you can't take everything on because then otherwise you're gonna be pulled in lots of many different directions. Um, but we do really try and listen and kinda what do people really like about it and like, you know, the consistency that they like as customers
0: fascinating and also i'm very keen to understand what you're doing or what you anticipate you'll be doing in order to stand out yourselves in the marketplace when it comes to getting the right talent because you know it's it's a seller it's a buyer's market in a way isn't it the the staff are in short supply especially part-time lower paid end of things in retail and hospitality. Gosh, you've got quite a challenge ahead. How are you going to meet that?
1: That's the the thing about being a baker at the moment is that you have to put in a lot of training and a lot of time in order to kind of get to a level. And because we're artisan, everything is handmade. So you do kind of also need that extra bit of training just so you've got consistency and all of your products are, you know, they look the same, they taste great and everything. So we we really need to, if we have people come in, we really need them to stay around for a long time. Um, And we've all worked in hospitality and we've worked in some amazing places where we've been treated so wonderfully. And we've also been in places that we haven't been treated too well in the hospitality sector. And I think that was one of the big reasons why Lauren started the bakery was because she trained as a chef and she worked in kitchens and she just thought, well, this is such a bullying culture, like she doesn't want to be part of that, so I think we we're trying to really like as you know as still we want to be like the bosses and tell people what to do, but then also we realize the value and like how much value people can bring when they're happy, so obviously you can't make everyone happy all the time and there you there are going to be days that you don't want to come to work and you're just you're gonna to have to go in, but we will really try and like encourage everyone and because we're a family, we're three sisters, we kind of want to extend that as American and, you know, American and cringy as that sounds sometimes. We do kind of want to extend that familyness into the stars.
0: And Francis, we've been talking about skills and skilling people up. How much of an impact has what you do had on businesses' ability to be resilient? Brilliant, yeah.
2: So... I love what I'm doing with Transform. I've run a business myself, so I know how challenging it is. And particularly when the external pressures that we're facing right now with COVID and Brexit on some of the sectors specifically that I'm working with and hospitality and um, health and social care. I mean, it hits everybody across, across all sectors, but those areas in particular are struggling. So having that um, support through Transform has been really helpful for organisations. And it's not just like we bring money to the table to help them access apprenticeships, but because of this, like we do a complete needs analysis with the business, we help them really identify where their gaps are, where they want to get to, where they are now, how they're going to get there and where the gaps are in their existing staff training or in gaps in where they need to recruit into positions as well as, as the gaps, you know, that they've already identified through um, coming to us and looking at apprenticeships. So when we're looking at the small startups, again, we're working from tiny one-man bands right through to, you know, those larger medium-sized organizations. And um, I've been working with a small hospitality business. they just about taken on their first staff member. They've done that through an apprenticeship. But meanwhile, we also recognise that we needed additional training. So the the business owner needs some training on um, financial management, um, managing staff. You know, just to up her skill set to, to be able to support, to support the growth of the business. So while I'm able to come in with additional, yeah, it's I mean, it's it's brilliant to be able to help and respond to those needs. So while I'm able to come in and say, okay, I can help you with the apprenticeship um, opportunity. And yes, we can look at levy money for you um, through East Sussex County Council or other providers at the moment. But what I can also do is help you identify other funded training. And that might be through level two qualifications and some basic stuff that really but really good grounding training. So in team leading, um, in and things like also Sustainability, you know, that's a big um, area at the moment, and where businesses are being asked to respond and demonstrate their, you know, their eco credentials. And uh, so we're also able to offer free training that way. And the quality and diversity, key thing.
0: There is a huge amount of work to do to get the right people in through the door. Um, you can't just stick an advert out there and hope for the best anymore. Deborah, Do you find that businesses are put off seeking help with recruitment because of what they consider the costs to be?
3: Yes, I think so. Um, I think particularly for the micro businesses that Francis has been describing, um, they they think of recruitment support as being expensive, and then when they find out the cost, they actually do do think it's expensive. Um, But it's often a misunderstanding around. What you get for your money, you know. Francis has already said these these small businesses have very little time. What you tend to find is owner business, owner managed businesses are running themselves by doing everything. They're the accountant, they're the office administrator, they're the MD, they're the sales director. So then you throw in another responsibility, which is now be a recruitment consultant. Going to an expert, an, an agency, you get that end to end support, whereby you. You get expertise in terms of helping you with the job design, as well as then writing the advert in a way that you know will attract the right candidates and then using all the various routes to market, which certainly a micro business and even some of the small medium businesses that we have, they just don't have access to the channels to market. So if you think about um, well, a micro business would, would maybe... If they were maybe a high street retailer, put an advert in their window, they might use their Facebook feed and um, say, we've got a great vacancy. Um, if they were happy to pay, they could pay for, say, a LinkedIn advert. But what you find is quite quickly, those if you as soon as you start paying, it builds quite quickly. So uh, a job site like Indeed, for example, I think they allow you to advertise a role for £79 one-off. But what the feedback is we get from clients is that when they've tried to do it themselves, they do things like that. They end up spending a good few hundred pounds. That's just in cost. Then they've spent another week interviewing people that aren't quite right for the job or that don't turn up for interview. So when you add all the costs together, they end up and they end up without a successful recruitment. So when I talk about using expert suppliers, you've got people who, you know, we do this every day. We're working on 100 jobs
0: at the moment. we know we know where these people are hiding, <laughs> Deborah. Where are they hiding? Tell us. Get let us into a little secret. Where are they hiding? What do you mean by that?
3: We, so we've got our own our own database that we've built up over fourteen years. Um, and as an organisation ourselves, we're, we're actually quite different from a lot of recruiters because we we nurture our community. Our, the people who register with us, they register not only to find work but to um, benefit from the support we offer through free. Um, online and face-to-face development events Um, we have a a database of a lot of passive people who are in jobs probably quite happy but actually if they if you approach them in the right way with the right opportunity um, which you've designed because you've been working with the client to make sure it fits a candidate's brief you end up with a much higher success rate in terms of getting people um, in front of the client that meet the brief precisely Outside of that, as a recruitment agency, and this would be true for most recruiters, we have access to lots of the job boards. We've got high social media engagement um, with our um, people outside of our community. And then we also find, and you'll understand this, Penny, um, because the majority of our database is female, females never think they are, but they are actually brilliant networkers. And what we find is our community passes on our jobs to other people that they know. So we have this organic <laughs> discussion going on amongst our members, which is
0: very powerful. And tender two is in a way quite um an advanced recruitment offering. There are only a few, aren't there, who are offering flexible and part-time work only. Um, a fascinating area where of course women are desperate for those sorts of jobs and often are put off by Um, Full time only, or full time, or presumption that it's a full time job, or I'm not going to apply. You know, why not apply and then maybe negotiate a part time situation? However, it is, you know, in the school playground oh, I know somewhere where I can go and get know there's something advertised that's part-time Be suit you fine. Yeah, you're right. Women are brilliant networkers like that. It's an interesting conundrum, I would imagine, for a small business owner to think about uh, the cost of all of this. Josie, are you, are you anticipating costs and are you happy about them?
1: A lot of our business is on social media. Um, That's how we kind of got a lot of growth was through social media. So I think we would do things like maybe a local ad in the paper. Um, It kind of depends also who we want to target. So we would want to also target people who maybe are a little bit, well, just anyone who's interested in being a baker So we would do social media, Facebook. We've been quite lucky that we've had a few people also reached out to us and shown an interest in our bakery. So we're also kind of hoping, as was mentioned, that, you know, women and people like to talk and connect and communicate. So if we did put something in our shop window, we'll kind of spread the message out there that um, the message could get passed along throughout our network.
0: Deborah, I'm going to ask you to step in here. Let's get some free advice for Josie. Is her approach as a kind of, let's test this out, see if it works, mini business experiments in recruitment, a good approach? Or is that going to waste Josie a lot of time? Do
3: you know what? It, it will depend on how fortunate um, Josie is, actually, because... <laughs> it's a gamble. Because it, well, it sort of is, because um, it's fine to to do that, um, ad hoc organic approach and particularly when it's very small and you're local and you've got a customer facing environment actually you might well be able to find somebody like that I think what people underestimate terribly is how long it takes actually from the point of even having interested candidates the, the most we spend the majority of our time per vacancy on the screening of the candidates so you even if you you know you have a great response you have 50 people interested actually that's an awful lot of work to screen those cvs to meet the 10 people or the 5 people you want to meet to meet them again to make sure um so the the actual meeting of the brief and deciding the right characters and skills that you want is actually the the most resource hungry part of the recruitment process and what we're finding and i don't know if this is to do with cancel culture Or just the candidate shortage, what we're finding is there's more and more candidates just don't show up for interview, say they're interested, get to offer stage and walk away. It's a very hit and miss market at the moment. And that can waste an awful lot of time. So if you've got somebody doing it on your behalf, um, yes, you're paying for that time, but at least you're not distracted from running your business.
0: I mentioned in the introduction about SMEs competing with corporates for talent and if it's possible does it need to be possible do you think candidates are very well decided before they approach you know the to the Rise Bakery versus the big Marks and Spencers factory down the road that does a lot of baking why shouldn't they just go and work there you know is that part of the competition for talent or is that nothing do we not need to worry about that
3: what we see is our clients will often We'll, we'll screen a candidate, think they're brilliant. Uh, and then a client will say, oh, they're too corporate for us. We're a small business and vice versa. So you get candidates saying, uh, I've always worked in corporate. I think I have to stay in corporate. I prefer corporate. So it's almost like a bias, even if it's an unconscious one, that if your CV says that you've worked in big organisations, people think you won't be able to adapt. Um, and vice versa, corporates go, oh, you know, they've only ever worked in companies with 20 employees they're not going to be able to cope with the size of us. Um, in my experience, candidates who have a mix are actually really, really strong because they've understood and had the I, I call it corporate pedigree where they've learned processes um, structure, um, how to work across m- many, many stakeholders. And then if they've worked in a smaller business where you're literally doing everything on a shoestring, um, those people have, I think, something about them, you know, an edge. So for me, it's about whether the candidate is right for the business and whether their skills are transferable or adaptable. The the competition, uh, to answer your very original question, competition from corporates, I think small medium enterprises can react so much more quickly and are so much more agile with their decision making that actually I'm not sure I'm not sure it's a competition or not an even playing field what you find is corporates can pay more money but their decision making is quite slow um, they'll often lose out to candidates who are in multiple processes because they just can't move fast enough with their decision-making. And what we see is our small medium enterprise clients, um, you go back to them and say, look, she really wants to work for you or he really wants to work for you but needs a tiny bit more money and one day at home. And they go, yeah, no worries. <laughs> and they'll literally do it on the phone to you. Yeah. Um, and that's a, you know that seals the deal for in, in many circumstances. So So, yes, there's competition, but it's not really
0: – you can't really match it if you understand my meaning I do and Josie, I just want to come back to you. Has that free expert advice landed with you at all? Has it
1: made you think differently about the way you might go about things? It's been amazing it's um I think also the timeline is something that is always that kind of really stuck out to me also that it's just like even though when you think you put it out okay a couple of weeks later, it's like no, you really have to wait and it could be six months down the line but it's waiting to see also until you get that person who is not only they feel it's the right fit but you also feel it's the right fit for the for the business because you really want to hire someone with the intention of keeping them for a very long time.
3: So just to jump in there on Josie's point, there is another timeline which is really, really important. And we talk to our clients all the time about planning. If you know someone's on maternity leave, so they're going to leave in six months' time, or someone's going to be promoted in three months' time, leaving a gap to fill – um, or you know you're growing at such a rate that you need to recruit you need to have a plan in place for at least 12 months and if you use a supplier talk to your supplier about that or talk within the team about it because what we're seeing is recruitment proceeds actually are slowing because people are in multiple processes so a candidate might say yeah i'm interested but actually i'm interviewing next week so can i just hold off and what we're finding is lots of employers are extending notice periods and holding people to notice periods so at a senior level, you might have someone on three months or maybe even six months notice. So, a senior FD, for example, or an HR manager. So, if you want them in June, <laughs> you need to be recruiting right now.
0: That's what makes it costly, isn't it? To recruit individuals, retaining is the va- is the place is the place to be. Josie, have you considered at all about the pipeline of talent? Um, you know, you're thinking about, yes, people leaving, giving you really good notice for maternity leave or uh, maybe they've found something else and they're going to work their notice. But, you know, people going sick instantly or just deciding not to show up. That's the nature of your industry, isn't it? Um, feeding the pipeline of contacts that you have is probably part of the the work that you've got. I hate to add to your to-do list, but um, <laughs> is that something you've considered?
1: yeah so I think no, we haven't really kind of thought of that at the moment um because we've just kind of been us three um we're all also looking we're gonna take a couple of months off before we move into the new space, so we are all also looking to train in all areas of the business, so if one of us three go down um if we have to take off time for sick or anything, then we can cover it on that side uh but no, not quite thought of our. You know if that was to happen with staff, just kind of hoping that at least the one of the three of us will be well trained in every single area that if we did have to kind of jump in for the time that we could, but in the future we will um yeah really look at getting senior staff who are also a bit more versatilely trained that they can kind of if they needed to lean into another job for the day then they would. Hopefully be able to do that.
0: Sounds like a good workaround. And the way your business sounds, I think you're gonna have a waiting list of people wanting to work in your shop and your bakery for sure. And Francis, so. filling the pipeline. <laughs> I hope so too, Josie. Francis, filling the pipeline, um, helping careers progress in small businesses is centered around skills and training isn't it i would imagine that you've helped people stay in businesses by diversifying their skills
2: absolutely so we've been working with um a a charity in east sussex area who support they're a supported employment organization and they support people with learning difficulties or autism into employment and so from their perspective we've helped them recruit um into a digital apprenticeship so bringing that skills into the business new skills into the business um, but meanwhile we've also helped them to um, upskill an existing member of staff into a senior leader level seven um, role as well so to grow their talent within the business to support that that growth and the changing needs as well i picked up on um the conversation about pipelines of so you you know and how we access um New, new recruits, first of all, with widening, looking at widening participation, looking at new pipelines for recruiting talent into our business, recruiting new staff into our business. And with um, apprenticeships, we've got us as a support, we, we're we not a recruitment um, organisation or sales transform doesn't provide that, but that connection to training providers, they are used to helping to recruit into apprenticeships now. So they'll have... An employment team sat within the college, or they'll have somebody specifically identified if it's a small training provider to help the business recruit, to help them put their adverts together, the JD job descriptions together, person specification. They'll also help them post it onto um, websites such as the National Apprenticeship website, which is where you might get parents of younger people, or People of all ages who are looking for apprenticeship opportunities, they will go to. We'll signpost to some of those job boards that Deborah mentioned as well. We'll signpost to Job Centre Plus, who are desperately trying to support um, businesses locally and are able to provide pre employment training solutions as well, which might help gear those people up and make them job ready. Going back to um, the, the wider pipeline and pull as well so little gate farm is the is the organization that does the supported employment in east sussex and what they do is amazing so they do pre-employment training and they are also working with businesses themselves to help match their their people that they're helping into employment positions and then we kind of join them in that and give that extra advice that guidance and funding if it's appropriate as well so it's also about working together with other organizations and i think deborah alluded to that where they've got a network of employers that they're working with and we're
0: supporting each other So we've covered off the challenges for small businesses in the recruitment space, um, touched on resilience as a theme throughout, and we've looked at some very practical solutions and suggestions. Thank you for those. But I do want to end with a question to you around the future. So, Josie, what are your recruitment plans for the next couple of years? How many staff are you going to get through the door? How's it going to go for you? What's your vision?
1: So we've got a few branches of the business that we'll need to recruit in. Um, most importantly, we'll need to recruit and train some bakers uh, that will also give my sister some time off, which would be fabulous. So we need bakers. We also do deliveries. So we'll be looking to recruit um, a delivery driver. And ideally, we would want someone who wants to work part time and loves driving around the county every morning. Um, and then we also would like to employ someone to work in kind of like a cafe in front at house, front of house, and also um, looking at someone who would love to go and do markets again. Just has like a passion for just going and going to all lots of different markets across the across the county.
0: A flyer with every loaf of bread, I think that's the, <laughs> yeah, the way to do to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that I'm I'm assuming you're looking as. The you know bulletproofing future proofing your business in terms of resilience as well as having this this growth vision for yourselves is that right
1: yeah, and we also we're at a point that we're growing um quite a lot now, and we also don't want to have too many growing pains, so we need to also have the support from people who are really passionate about working with us, working in hospitality as well. I think hospitality's had quite a bad rep about also not being a forever job people kind of see hospitality as a bit of a stepping stone and we really want to show that it is a career and it is a really lovely environment to work in so yeah we want to have people who can also who want to be part of our journey and our growth with us too
0: fantastic francis the future for skilling up training apprentices Is that a positive for you in terms of small and medium sized enterprises in the future? Absolutely. So skilling up, training,
2: doing that through apprenticeships is really going to help any business organisation and they're likely to stay with you. And there is a stat that's out there on the apprenticeship website that's 86% of employers said apprenticeships brought in the skills they needed And crucially, nearly 75% of apprentices stay on with their employer, and I think that's absolutely key right now. If you've got somebody good, you want to keep hold of them. My advice to um, employers looking to recruit right now would be to work with organisations like ourselves, work with the Transform Project, work with other business support services, make the most of what's available to you right now. But as Deborah said as well, and Josie alluded to, Connect. It's building those local connections um, through your own networks, and then also going to third-party organisations like Careers East Sussex, building your networks with schools, colleges, um, and those local communities for your future. Because it's not just about addressing building resilience for right now; it's about future-proofing your business and developing those relationships in our local communities that will help us recruit in the future, because this is not going to get better,
0: potentially. All right. And Deborah, the final word to you, if you can broad brush it for us, what are the key things for small businesses to think through in terms of recruitment in 2022? And could I ask you to give us a nod to the way that hybrid working is panning out, and if that's got anything to do with the future of recruitment?
3: We've talked about the candidate shortage, and all the forecasts are saying that this is going to continue throughout and beyond 2022. So, there's, you know, there's a few pieces to, of advice to keep in mind. Look at your existing culture and understand how you can protect your existing team. It's amazing when you ask some people, some companies, you know, why do people stay? Um, why are they happy? Why do they leave? Often, companies don't really have a grasp of that. Um, but what you want to do is understand that and make sure you put in place plans to keep your top players happy. So that's the best way (laughs) rather than having to go to the market and find new recruits. Um, The second part of that is Recognize this isn't always about money. So, we've already said 80% of people are looking for some form of hybrid working moving forward. Talking to our clients, what you find is everybody's at different stages of development of their hybrid working strategies. Um, And we're supporting a number of our clients in working out what looks right for them because what looks right for one business won't necessarily mirror um, another business. So, you can't just have a template that says this is how hybrid working works. I think it's here to stay. I think we're going to go through a couple of years of people redefining what hybrid working is. um, And I think it will look different depending on the size of the company, um, what the staff want um, and what the demands of the the businesses are. I think it's here to stay. I think people will be adapting their home lives to accommodate it. Um, Now, whether in whether it's going to be cyclical and in five years time, 10 years time, there'll be a whole backlash against it. Who knows? Um, Some people are predicting that, but I I think it's way too early in this journey to to say as much. And I think my final point would be um, about planning. Actually sit down and think about, just as Josie has just said, she's got an idea of what her resourcing plans look like for the next 12 months. That's that's something every business should do and um, start thinking about it and planning and putting in motion now things that you want to happen in the coming year.
0: My thanks to all our guests, Josie Pollard, Francis Weatherilt and Deborah O'Sullivan. And don't forget to subscribe to the Business Ready podcast for the Hertfordshire Growth Hub powered by Hertfordshire Local Enterprise Partnership on your usual podcast provider, so you don't miss an episode. And we'd love it if you could leave a review, because it makes it really easy for a podcast listener to find. And if you want a little extra help with your business, consider some free expert advice from the Business Navigators at your local growth hub. They helped over 30,000 businesses last year with grants and funding, international trade, skills, guidance, opportunities in training, specialist high growth support, and so much more. They know that no two businesses are the same. And that's why the advice and support they offer is tailor made for everyone covering the four essential components of success, starting, planning, growing, and solving. I'm Penny Haslam. Thanks for listening.